Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Thank you so much for getting out of bed and coming today. It's really nice that you would share part of your weekend with us. I do want to say right off the bat, uh, before we get much farther, for those who don't know, uh, Bobby, you know, some people are new here. Bobby is Pastor Dave's son. If you, uh, Pastor Dave is our family pastor. And Bobby is, well, my goodness, you've been here since you've been like six or seven years old, I think. He's kind of growing up here, and he's away studying uh, music, and um, he's agreed to help us out for the, for the month of May and part of June, and we're excited to have him as he's kind of interning for worship, and then he's going to transition in the middle of June over to what we originally hired him for, which is day camp, and to be part of that. So we got some lots of plans over the summer, what we're going to be doing, but I do want to say, extend just a very... Uh, a heart of gratitude, actually, for those who have really carried on behind the scenes, and two people in particular, and that is Terry Babby. For those who are new among us, he got, he's the guy that plays the electric way over here in the corner, and then Laura, who has been doing harmonies today. Uh, they really have carried the mantle for the last eight months as we've been looking uh, for somebody uh, to fill in, and they took the mantle when we went into two services uh, which we hadn't been doing, and this fall we did, and then we added an extra practice, and they've been recruiting and training, and we would not be able to do what we have done for the last eight months. So I, I especially want to say a thank you to Terry and uh, Lori for all that they have done for us. Well, if you, are, um, if you haven't been around for a couple of weeks, or maybe you're new this morning, uh, we started a new series, and we've called it messy. Everybody knows life gets messy. And honestly, that is not going to change anytime soon. And it doesn't really matter if you're religious or not religious. Uh, all of us know what it's like to be in a mess. Uh, some of us right now know what it's like to be in the mess. And then some of us, we know we're only one bad decision away from being in a mess again. Have you ever heard the term hot mess? A hot mess? It's actually a phrase that goes all the way back to the 19th century. It referred to when people were um, eating food in a mess hall, you know, like a cafeteria style. It referred to the, the quantity of food. They'd say, oh, that's, that's a hot mess. And that's what it made reference to. But in the 21st century, hot mess means something completely different. And if you go to the Urban Dictionary which we know is a trustworthy uh, place. The Urban Dictionary says that a hot mess means an attractive disaster. Someone whose life is somewhat livable, uh, somehow functioning, and somewhat attractive. You know, they can still show up for work and still show up for school. And oftentimes, that's kind of our goal, just to be a hot mess. Make sure it all looks good, even though everything could be falling apart uh, all around us. A hot mess. Academic. Sometimes we're in an academic mess, or you know, a GPA mess, a marital mess, a financial mess, um, a relational mess. Here's the truth. Life is messy. That's the truth right there. Life is messy. And sometimes we find ourselves in a hot mess, an attractive disaster. In fact, you know what? Last night I found myself in a hot mess. 
believe it or not. I, I'll confess, I was in a hot mess last night. I was kind of reviewing, uh, getting ready for today, uh, for Sunday, and um, last evening, I don't know, 7.30, 8 o'clock, I think it was, I got a phone call. And so, you know, picked up the phone call. It was actually Pastor Glenn. He was calling and chatting. And I put the phone down and went back to my computer. And for some reason, the 15-page document that I've been working all week was gone. Yeah, that's, I, had a bigger, I actually had a bigger sigh. I felt stress and I felt an oncoming heart attack. And so I just like, okay, 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 okay. Okay, it's got to be here somewhere. And I searched high and low. I went into my trash file, went into my recovery file, went, checked everything possible, and it was nowhere to be found. Um, then I got my sister, who I consider really good with computer. Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. I'm, I'm really panicky. And she did her magic, and nothing happened. <laughs> and I was like, oh dear, I'm calling in sick tomorrow. So I never found it. So my sister says to me, well, it's obviously it was a terrible message in the first place. <laughs> obviously, God didn't want you to be throwing that stuff around. He had something else. So at 10 o'clock last night, I just said, oh, Lord, please help me. So I kind of know what it's like to be in a hot mess. Last week, we kind of looked at messy uh, relationships. And don't we all know... Uh, and probably all of us have experienced where sometimes our relationships have gone a little sour and they've gotten a little messy. Uh, I, I, I have some friends, actually, who uh, they grew up as, as kids. Uh, they were best of friends through, you know, middle school, junior high, high school. Uh, we're in each other's weddings and we're great friends. And then I don't know what happened. To this day, I don't know what happened. But somehow the relationship that they had together went sour and to this day, I don't know what happened. But I do know that these best friends who were best friends haven't spoken to each other in five years. And they live in the same neighborhood. And I often think to myself, how is that possible? But that just shows you how easy it is for relationships to get a little messy at times. Well, today we're going to talk about a subject that honestly is very sensitive. It's one of those subjects that could really tick you off. Um, because everybody knows there are certain subjects that nobody talks about. Number one, you never talk about politics, right? I've learned that here in Sarnia. Do not talk about politics. There's quite a diverse thoughts here. Uh, the other thing is don't talk about outside the church what? Religion. Whoo! That will get you in some big trouble. But here's what else I've learned. They can get in trouble. Don't you dare be talking about messy personal finances. Whoa, it gets quiet. If there's ever a place that you don't talk about money, it's in church, right? I mean, I mean, all of a sudden accusations begin to start flying. Oh, that's all you ever talk about at church is money. You know, you're meddling in my business. You stay on your side of the fence, Mr. Speaker Man. Now, if you're visiting here for the first time, you may be saying to yourself, oh, my word, of all days to visit this church. <laughs> or maybe you invited somebody, and right now they're elbowing you, like, really? You brought me here on this day? When he's speaking about that. One thing I promise you this morning 
is there will be no asking up here uh, for money. There's no big talk talking about some big expansion we're going to do and we need some money. And you're never going to hear me ever say, God needs your money. One thing I've learned, God is quite self-sufficient. He does not need our money. He's just gracious enough to allow us to be a part uh, of what he's doing, but he definitely doesn't need um, our money. But one of the things that I, I am discovering, the older I get, is that money destroys a lot of lives. Now, I know some people are quick to say, oh, Donald, you're so dramatic. Really? Destroys lives? Yeah, I know money's important, and yeah, I know it can be critical at times, but really? You really think it, it could destroy lives? I go, yeah. In fact, there's something about money that really can destroy a man and a woman's hopes and dreams for the future. Money has the power to actually destroy. I mean, you think of all the people, uh, maybe even currently or, or throughout history, who are famous, who had a lot of money, and, and they're famous not because they had a lot of money, they're famous because what money has done to their lives. I think of people like uh, Howard Hughes, wealthy beyond measure, an innovator, uh, lots of things going on for him, but money, when you read the story of his life, it's sad. I think of people like uh, the Kennedy family. You know, you read some of that history, it's been, they've really suffered some devastation because of money. In fact, there's a picture here I wanted to show you. This is David Kennedy. Uh, this is Robert Kennedy's son, who was the Attorney General of the U.S., uh, and his brother, of course, was John F. Kennedy. Well, this is John F. Kennedy's nephew, David Kennedy. And he, um, on the bottom of the picture, John F. Kennedy makes this comment about his nephew. He says, the future president inspects his property. And though David Kennedy had name, and he had status, and he had wealth, all the money, all that money could buy, in 1984, he was found dead by his own hand at the age of 28. All that money in the world, and yet it led to despair and desperation. See if you can figure out who said this. I sit in my home in Buffalo, and sometimes I get so lonely that it's unbelievable. Life has been uh, so good to me. I, I have a great wife, good kids, lots of money, my own health. But I'm lonely and bored. I often wonder why so many rich people commit suicide. Money sure is not a cure-all. That was in People's Magazine by none other than this next photo right here, O.J. himself. And we see how his life spiraled right out of control. There's something... I had to borrow this because I would never have this much money. There's something about money. I mean, it's great, right? I mean, we can buy things, we can provide for our families, but there, oftentimes there's a, there's a dark side to money. In fact, you know, people will, people will steal for this. People will lie for this. People commit all kinds of crimes uh, for this. People, in fact, will even neglect their family for just a little bit more 
of it. Divorces are caused over it. People get mistreated for it. Can money destroy? Oh, yes, it can. And it has destroyed many people. That's why it's a serious matter, and, and that's why we've chosen to talk about it this morning. Just messy finances, and, and God's Word has a lot to say about money. In fact, it may surprise you what it has to say about money. First of all, I mean, when you study the Bible, and you would expect when you study the Bible, you're going to read verses about prayer, and there's about 500 verses that talk about prayer. There's actually over 2,000 verses that, that talk about money. In fact, Jesus himself talks more about money than heaven and hell combined. And over half of the parables that Jesus taught dealt with, with money. So there's obviously something that God wants us to, to pick up, uh, to learn, just about finances, our, our, our money, so we don't get in messy situations. Now, I, I realized this morning, there's nothing going to be here earth-shattering this morning. Nobody's going to walk out of here going, whoa, that guy's an amazing genius. Not at all. But I do hope that when you leave here this morning, that you will consider what has been said, and at the least, say, I needed to be reminded of that today, this morning. I like what Andy Stanley says, money is limited, but there is no limit to what you can do with your money. We only have a certain amount, but you, what you choose to do with your money has endless possibilities. In Luke chapter 16, verse 13, it says, No servant can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. See, it's like a divided home. And some of us would know what that's like. Uh, you know, maybe a child goes to one parent and one parent says, yes, of course. And, and then he goes to another parent and that parent says, no. And all of a sudden it's divided. The house is divided on what uh, should be done. And, and in this verse, when it says, no servant can serve two masters, either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. It's the last part of that verse. It says, you cannot serve both God and money. Does that seem strange to you? I mean, that every time I read that verse, it seems strange. I feel like that should say, you cannot serve both God and the devil. That's what makes sense to me. But that's not what he says. See, Jesus is so wise when he's telling the story because he hits it so close to home because he knows that people will be torn between their devotion to God and their desire for stuff. I mean, there's always going to be this tug of war between our devotion to God and our desire for stuff. And honestly, I don't know that ever goes away. I, I think it may just be a lifetime battle that we always face. Back and forth, back and forth. I, I read this week, I had been reminded of this, that the number one reason, number one reason for divorces is money fights and, and money problems. The number one reason fights in marriages is over money. And the number one reason for marriage problems, even in our own church, is actually over money. 
I, I meet with a lot of people. <laughs> and it always seems to come back when, when couples are falling apart and families are splitting. It seems to always come back to money. Maybe spending is out of control or the debt is sinking the family ship. Now, what we're going to discover here this morning is that what the Bible has to say about money is not rocket science. A few weeks ago, uh, my home, my family, we were watching a movie called Hidden Figures. Uh, Maybe some of you have seen it. It's about three uh, African-American ladies who in the 60s were all working for NASA. It's an incredible true story. And um, there's this one scene, a couple scenes actually, where they're in the main room in NASA and there's this chalkboard. I don't know, it looks like it's about 10 feet high and maybe 25 feet wide. And they have all these complicated math equations. And, and when I was looking at that and watching the movie, I kept thinking, oh my goodness, I could never work for NASA. I don't have a clue. I recognize that one number. It was a three. That is it. But what we're going to discover, what the Bible says about money, it's easy to understand. You don't have to struggle with math to get it. See, the Bible makes it very easy to understand, but boy, oh boy, is it ever hard to do. Because 80% of it is our behavior. It's only 20% that really is head knowledge. See, most of us know what to do. We just struggle with doing it. Uh, Oftentimes the problem is it's that person that we look every day in the mirror. It's us. The struggle of doing uh, what we know. Detailed research says 100% of foreclosures happen because of too much debt. According to Proverbs 22.7, It says, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. The Bible says that the borrower is a slave to the lender. Ever felt that way? I have. You know, you you feel like you just have chains wrapped around you, and you're just kind kind of dragging the ball with you. Like, it's just so heavy. I mean, oftentimes when we think of slavery, we you know, think of history. Maybe the slaves were in the uh, Egyptian empire or maybe Roman slaves or more recently like African-American slaves who, are, who were brought over. I, I discovered, actually, I didn't know this, but they say in 2019 there's somewhere between 21 million to 40 million slaves today in our world, even though every country says Slavery is wrong. And this is what it said about slavery when I was looking it up, about modern-day slavery. What is it? They say it's when a person is under control of another person who applies violence and force to maintain that control. And the goal of that control is the exploitation. And that's why the Bible says the borrower is a slave to the lender. They kind of get the control the situation. And so it's not profound, but I think one of the things that we can do to kind of get out of those messy money situation and messy financial situation is a simple thought to just get out of debt. To get out of debt. See, slaves have no options. They do what they're told. 
financial slaves go to a job of a hate every day to pay the bills. Slaves can't be generous. Um, they can't give because, well, the fact is, they owe too much. That's why the Bible says it's hard to serve two masters, Jesus says. You know, lots of us have money coming in, but it just all goes back out. Maybe because of the house payment or, or car payments or credit card payments or school loan payments, money just seems to flow in and flow right back out. It never seems to land in our pocket. And that's why I say debt can really destroy a lot of couples and families. And honestly, it's destroyed some churches as well. Debt. Now, there's a lot to be said about this plastic. Now, this particular plastic, if you could, you can't really maybe see it from there, but my little picture's on it, and it says Costco. Now, to have a Costco card is amazing. <laughs> have a Costco card that's also a credit card can be destructive, <laughs> okay? And what I discovered is Canadians, these are all Canadian stats, have a love affair with this plastic. They love to caress it and hold it and use it. In fact, let me give you some stats. Canadians, not Americans, we're just talking about our own country. Canadians spend over 300 billion on credit card every year. That's more than the Chinese and Russian military budget combined. The average Canadian who has a credit card balance, has a credit card balance of over $8,600 and they carry all year long. That's five times more than the GDP of India. The average Canadian spends per active credit card about $9,700 every year. That's more than the average annual Chinese salary. Canadians write off about $3 billion of credit card debt per year. That's equivalent of Canadians buying and not paying for 9.5 million iPads. Canadians carry approximately 80 billion of credit card debt. We're not a big country, and yet we carry 80 billion in credit card debt. That's why I say debt can really destroy couples and families and individuals and churches. Sometimes you'll hear people say, ah, maybe you need to do a little plastic surgery. Get the knife out, the scissors, and do a little slicing and dicing and throw it out. I found this out. I, I didn't know this. The average car payment is $478 a month for 84 months. So that's the average. If you were to put $478 a month, which we're paying maybe to pay off debt, if you were to do that and put it in a mutual fund, starting at 30, by the time you retire, I think it works out to be $5.6 million. That's a car payment. Borrower really is a slave to the lender. And honestly, who, who wants to live that way? Dave Ramsey, um, who we've taught his course at our church, he does financial peace. He, he, this is his term. He's kind of a guru when it comes to finances. And he said, you know what debt is? I, I thought that was kind of funny. He says, debt is financial whining. And I thought, what? 
He said, I want, I want, and I want it now. And I thought, my goodness, I've done a lot of financial whining. <laughs> the quest for stuff is killing a lot of marriages. A lot of families. And a lot of churches. Destroying them. Just not being satisfied with what I have before I want something absolutely more. I wrote a couple of things down that some well-known people have said over the years about money. Too many people, which we probably know this one, Will Rogers said this, too many people spend money they earn to buy things that they don't want to impress people that they don't even like. Uh, Seneca, a Greek philosopher, said, it's, it is not the man who has too little but the man who craves more that is poor. Uh, Epictetus, uh, a Roman philosopher, wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. Benjamin Franklin, money never made a man, a, a man happy yet, nor will it. The more a man has, the more he wants. And instead of filling a vacuum, it actually creates one. And Dave Ramsey, just quoted a few minutes ago, he says, financial peace isn't the acquisition of stuff. It's learning to live on less than what you make. Now, I remember growing up, the term that was used when I was growing up, learn, uh, learn to live on your means, right? Like just, you only have a certain amount, so live within your means. In other words, you have a certain amount of money, don't be spending more than that. Just learn to live within your means. And uh, Pastor Glenn, um, father, who is like an accountant, gave me some financial advice when I was in my 20s. And he said, Donald, if you'll just always spend less than what you make, you will always be in good financial shape. The key, Donald, is spend less than what you make. And you'll be in good financial shape. I like how Dave Ramsey puts it, though. Act your wage. <laughs> Act your wage. Learning to live on less than what we make. See, we're not, we're not the Canadian government where you just spend, 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 spend and hope somehow it all works itself out. That's, that's, that's not the individual life. The Bible actually says in Proverbs 21, 20, a foolish man devours all that he has. If you spend everything that you make, the Bible says, actually, you're foolish. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment, the most powerful financial insight that there is. And so often, and it's, I, I keep referring to myself because this is me. Remember that, that struggle, right? Devotion to God, the desire for more. But so often we get in this fervish acquisition mode. You know, I gotta have it, I gotta have it, I gotta have it, I gotta have it. So when I moved here two and a half years ago, I bought a house that was 38 years old. Okay? And I left Halifax and I just built a new house. So kind of had everything you wanted. You know, you, you start it from the ground, you got to put it in what you wanted. So when I buy a, an older house that's been around for a lot longer, it has some things that I, I didn't care for. Uh, like, for instance, I don't really care for the mint green carpet that was laid in 1982, okay? 
but I got a lot of it upstairs where the bedrooms are. And I just don't really care for the yellow linoleum that goes down the hallway or the brick linoleum that goes into another room. So when I moved there, I said, okay, okay. And I start putting some money aside and I'm gonna change that green carpet because I deserve beige carpet or gray carpet, something other than green. Well, I've been here two and a half years. I still got green carpet. <laughs> and yellow linoleum going down, trying to learn how to not always, you know, trying to learn this principle, hey, if you got the money, then it's okay, you can buy it. But if you ain't got the money, honey, you shouldn't be buying it. And so I'm trying to learn that, that principle. Many people spend exactly what they make, but the problem is when people start spending more than what they make, they get in trouble. And oftentimes we're encouraged to live that way. I love those real estate shows. I love those real estate shows. You know, especially when they get a young couple and they're like, okay, what's your budget? Oh, it's like 1.7 million, a newly married couple. You know those couples, it's just, I don't get it. I, 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 I don't know. But anyway, they go out, usually it's in Vancouver somewhere, and, and they're looking at a house, and they fall in love with the house, and they say to the realtor, how much? They go, it's only 2.1, but our budget is only 1.7. I know, but over 30 years, you'll never notice it, the payment. That, right, it's that push to just live beyond our means. And when that happens, people end up walking right into this panic room. Blood pressure rises. The, the financial stress, just trying to live beyond our means. When really God, I, I think, has designed us to live in rooms that you can breathe in financially. I can breathe. Not the panic rooms. Um, if we could learn, if we could, if Donald Calder could learn to live on a lower percentage of his income, he'd never have to worry about going into any panic room where his blood pressure rises. Now, I know I've said this all the time. I still say it. I try to say it under my breath now so nobody really knows, but I've said this many times. Oh, if I just had a little bit more, I'd be much happier. I'd be fine then. But you know what people who make $50,000 a year, that's what they say, right? If I just had a little bit more, I'd be good. It'd be good. Um, you know people that make $75,000 actually say, if I just had a little bit more, I, it would be fine. Do you know couples that make $150,000 together say, if I just had a little bit more, I would be fine. That whole, again, it's that tug of war, isn't it? And I think it's something that we're always going to be battling all of our lives. And so I think the scripture is telling us to act your wage can be very challenging. I don't know if you've ever been to Walmart where, you know, there's a child that's out of control in the cart just screaming and wanting everything when the cart's going down the aisle. I was recently, I was over at a poor Huron at the Target. It was right before Easter and there was this child who was out of control. Felt bad for the parent. I felt like it's just like, I want, I want, I want. And every time they wanted something, they threw it in the cart for him. And then they'd go around the corner and he didn't want that anymore. He wanted that. And they just kept filling. This cart was so full. And we think, oh, that's parenting. What a tough job. But you know, adults kind of do the same thing, only we're a little more sophisticated. We don't think of these tantrums, but we do say, I want that, and I want that, and I want that. And so learning to act your wage 
can be very challenging. Another simple principle that the Bible talks about is get on a budget. Get on a budget. In fact, I'm going to quote somebody I've never quoted before, Joe Biden. He says, don't tell me what you value, show me your budget, and I'll tell you what you value. How true is that? Those who manage money well will manage more. That's the whole parable of the talents that Jesus talks about. You know, if you, can, if you can't look after the small things, how in the world would we ever be able to look after the larger things, the big stuff? And, and a loving father does not give us more than what we can handle because he doesn't want to harm us. Jesus says it this way, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Who among you does not count the cost before he builds it? Luke 14, 28. The plan ahead. And then another simple principle. Let's just learn to save money. I don't know who said this, but someone said, if you don't learn to save money, you will always be broke. That's the truth. Grandma, maybe a previous generation, they used to call it saving for a rainy day. And maybe some of you may remember, you know, grandma, grandpa, maybe having that, that tin can up in some back cupboard behind stuff. And when, when money needed be had or, or a child was hurting or a family member was a little they'd go up to the tin can and they'd pull out because they have been saving for a rainy day now i learned this principle back when i was uh, i took i took the financial peace course that we teach here i took it back i don't know maybe 10 15 years ago and they used a different term they, they said you know save for an, um, an emergency fund like, start putting some money aside in an emergency fund. And I remember when they said, start, at least get to $1,000. So you can at least, you know, like, just put that aside. Eventually, you, they said, you know, you should prepare for it in case something happens, maybe three months worth to cover all your bills. But I, I remember, I remember when I got up to $1,000. I was like, oh, my goodness, I have $1,000 for a rainy day fund. It's my emergency fund. And as soon as I got it, the $1,000, you know what happened? I had an emergency but I didn't panic. I was like, oh, I had prepared. I, I, I had prepared. Be ready because life is coming. Transmissions will go. Someone's going to get sick. Someone gets laid off from work. There's an unexpected pregnancy. Life just happens. And the Bible tells us to be prepared for it. And some of us have seen it with our own eyes when life just happens that's that murphy's law right if it can go wrong it will go wrong if it can break down it will break down ever notice that things break down when you're broke that's a good country song that'd make a good country song <laughs> it says the house of the wise Proverbs 21, 20, the house of the wise are stories of choice food and oil. I personally, I, uh, people would disagree with me on this, I personally don't think uh, debt 
is a sin, but I do think it can cause a, it can cause a lot of stress in people's, people's lives. It doesn't need to be a part of it. So the house of the wise are stories of choice food and oil. You know, I was, um, another way to save money, learning how to save money, is actually, and this is hard, I, this is a hard one I have, is actually paying things with cash versus plastic. I'll give you an example. I'm at Sam's Club last Tuesday. I had 60 American dollars, and my bill came to 58. And I pulled it out and went, oh, I love you, Benjamin. <laughs> and I did this. I said, if I use this, I can buy more. And the next thing I know, I'm thinking, what have you just done, Donald? No, one of the ways that you can spend less, Donald, is you learn to pay with cash. In fact, McDonald's did a study of this. They said that people who buy their meals with plastic actually spend 47% more than when they do just with cash. So in other words, you go into McDonald's and you, know, you have your family, you have your friends, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll have, uh, I'll have the Big Mac uh, meal deal. Up, upgrade that please, and I'll get this. And you say to your friends, hey, what, are, what do you want? And upgrade his too, you know, like the plot. You just pay, pay, pay. But when you're paying with cash, and you're ordering, you say to your friends, uh, you're on your own. And, um, <laughs> and, you, and you order from the value menu, right? I mean, that's, that's what you do. When you talk about saving for a rainy day, if you don't save, you will never have an emergency fund. And if you, won't have an emerg if you don't have an emergency money, you will never have emergency money if you actually don't have a plan. And if you don't have a plan, the fact is we'll always be in debt because all these things work together. But if you put these things together, this is what the neat thing is. You have the opportunity to give, which is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Now, I know as a follower of Jesus, many of you, um, you know, you would, you would tithe, right? You give 10% of, your, of what you earn and you give to the church, not for the church to hoard up and store up, but so the church can just help people yeah, in the community. And, and we all know that verse, right? Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in the house. We know that verse. A lot of, you know, we've memorized that. I love this verse. It's actually Luke 4.24. There were no needy persons among them for from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales. That's generosity. It's just that from every now and then, from time to time, people would just like see needs and because they had the ability, they'd sell stuff and then they were just completely generous with what they had. And generosity will help you fight greed. You can keep greed out of your life by just being generous. And I love the stories that come when people are generous. I have a friend of mine named Scott, and um, we worked together in Halifax. And they had gotten um, a little larger, I think, tax return than they normally do. And, and they had made the decision that uh, we just want to figure out how we can give it away, bless people. 
And so Scott had made this decision that he was going to hit $500 and he was going to break it up into $50 bills. And he says, I just want to be able to respond if I see needs. And so he had bought 10 Bibles and he put them in his back seat. He said, if I just happen to be anywhere in town and I see somebody, I thought, they look like they could use just a little bit of encouragement. I want to be able to do that. And I can remember the very first time he said, you know, I had my Bibles in the backseat. I happened to be downtown going to do an errand. And I saw this guy who was kind of pushing a cart. He was collecting uh, bottles off the side of the street. He says, that's somebody that I could help. He says, I remember I stopped the car. I grabbed a Bible. I stuck the $50 bill in the front cover. And I said, man, I, God just, just felt that God told me I should give this to you to help you out today. And he would come back with stories like that. And I thought, I love stories like that when you can, you can be generous God blesses you and you can be generous with what he's given to you. Winston Churchill said this, we make a living by what, by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. See, the thing is, God really doesn't care about your money, but he does care about you. And sometimes I realize that we're driven by a standard of life, not a quality of life. And there's a big difference. I think somewhere along the line, for some of us, myself included, you know, I, th- I need to learn sometimes those words, enough, Donald, is enough. Donald, something maybe needs to change for you. Because, Donald, remember your quality of life is not the same, or your standard of life is not the same as your quality of life. It's completely different. And I realize not everyone buys into that idea. That's why there's advertisers, right, trying to sell you some extra things, you know, extra options on your car, because it kind of proves your, your quality of life, we think. But really, it's just, it's a standard of life. I'll give you a perfect example. When I was, uh, oh my goodness, I was in my 20s, and all my life, I wanted a Honda Prelude. I mean, I was a single youth pastor. I thought, I, sh- I should have a Honda Prelude. But something said to me, no, Donald, be responsible. Get the four-door Honda Accord because when the day comes that your grandparents fly into town, you'll be able to pick them up at the airport with the back seat. My grandparents never flew to visit me. <laughs> Not once. They always drove. They always drove. And I remember after having that car for five years, I said, you know what? My life is going to be a lot better if I had a Honda Prelude. I ditched the Honda Accord. I went and I got the Honda Prelude. And I remember thinking, look at me, single little sports car. I had that car a week. When all of a sudden I was like, there's not much room in this car at all. <laughs> in fact, it was so low to the ground and there was no room to put stuff in and it was, the, st- like it was, the shocks were rough on it and it didn't just glide over bumps. It was like, this is the worst decision I've ever made in my life. But I remember thinking, if I could just have a higher standard of living, my quality of life would be so much better. And I fell for it. And you know what? It wasn't true. Because your standard of life is not equal to your quality of life. If you want a higher quality of life, dare I say this, it does require discipline which I think is what God wants for all of us, to have a higher quality of life. But it does require a little bit of discipline. Jesus said, I've come to give you an abundant life above and beyond what you could ever think. And I don't think he was referring to our standard of life, but our quality of life. 
If I was to sum it all up, I could sum it up with just the three little statements. As simple as I can make it. Save a little. Spend a little. And give a little. Principles that are all from the Bible. I'm telling you, you'll notice a difference in the quality of your life. These are just simple things that the Bible tells us. Helps us to stay out of messy money problems or messy financial problems. And maybe today you're even, you're, you find yourself in that right now. Things are stressful. If, if we could get in that mindset to maybe a little discipline to begin to start paying off some of those debts and learn how to save, prepare for the future, and then be able to really respond when you see needs. I like what Dave Ramsey says when he says, live like no one else so you can live like no one else. Live like no one else to now, so in the future you can live like no one else because you've been prepared. Let's pray.